that Exodus chapter 3, if you have a Bible handy this morning, and I trust that if you uh, don't have one, that you perhaps can look on with someone close by. But uh, thank you for being here. I know I mentioned in Sunday school, but uh, when the 4th of July falls on a Wednesday, some folks uh, take the weekend before the 4th and get away, and some folks take the weekend after the 4th and get away, and some folks take both. <laughs> but uh, uh, it is a great crowd for the Sunday following uh, Independence Day, and uh, I'm so thrilled that you are with us this morning. It's great to see each and every one of you. Exodus chapter 3, if you'll stand with me please for the reading of the Word of God. And we'll begin in verse number 1. Exodus chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the Lord God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. You'll have a hard time, perhaps, when you hear the title of the message, trying to correlate it with the passage that we just read. But I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, Good News for America. You say, Preacher, where in the world are you going with this? Good news for America. And let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments. I pray that you still our, our hearts and our minds, calm any thoughts that would be distracting, and may we set them aside as we approach the all-important preaching of your word. I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments. I pray that you'd help us not only to, as patriotic Americans, uh, find hope in the Word of God for our country, but Father, help us to realize that the hope that is for our country begins with us, and that we ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As we close out this holiday week, I want to share some thoughts with you about our country <clears throat> that parallel the nation of Israel at different times in the Scripture. You see, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that much of it chronicles the history of Israel from the time of Abraham all the way through their return from Babylonian captivity some 500 years before the time of Christ. Much of the Old Testament is history about the nation of Israel. And uh, it is a series of spiritual ups and downs. If you, were to, if you were to put Israel's relationship with God on a graph, on a chart, if you will, it would look something like this. 
That's the way it would look. Kind of like our spiritual temperature from time to time, isn't it? But that's the way it would look. And you, as you read about the history of the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament, you find ups and downs. You find at times they were so sincere in their desire to live for God and please God and live holy and separated lives and, and to be God's chosen people and to, and, uh, they weren't afraid to be distinct from the world. They weren't at all afraid to stand out like a beacon in a dark night, like a lighthouse on a rocky shore. Uh, they, they weren't afraid at all to stand out for God. And then you have times in the life of the nation of Israel where they were as wicked and as sinful as you could imagine. They were worshiping false gods. They were bowing before Baal. They had all kinds of uh, totem poles that they were bowing before, and they had adopted the gods of the Ammonites and the and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Canaanites, all the inhabitants of the land that they uh, were given. And uh, and so so many times they were on the mountaintop, and then there were times they were so far away from God that you could not even recognize them as God's chosen people. It doesn't make much sense, but that's the history of the nation of Israel. One of those downtimes, if you will, for Israel was here. We just read about it in Exodus chapter 3. You see, in Exodus chapter 3, God's people had been in bondage, in slavery to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt for over 400 years. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that, that length of a time span because our country's only existed for 242 years. The nation of Israel was captives or, or bondmen, if you will, in the land of Egypt for over 400, almost twice the length of our nation's history. That's hard for us to grasp. But, uh, but here they had been slaves for several generations. And by the way, uh, there was nothing to be proud of as far as the nation of Israel was concerned at this time. There was no sense of overwhelming patriotism like we've experienced this week. Uh, there were no flags flying. Uh, there was no, uh, th there were no anthems playing. There was no God bless Israel land that I love. <laughs> they had not ever yet been to Canaan land. They had not even yet possessed the, the inheritance that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Uh, there was no, uh, th there was no, uh, feel good songs about Israel at that time. There was no sense of nationality or national pride whatsoever. And just 12 family groups, these sons of Jacob that had grown over uh, over the course of 400 plus years, who were now numbering probably anywhere from two to three million people over the course of 400 years, and uh, they were there in Egypt. They were slaves. They were miserable. They were bondmen. They were there simply to do Pharaoh's bidding, and uh, and all of that was about to change here in Exodus chapter three, because God is now calling this man named Moses. And God is calling this man Moses to lead God's people out of bondage and eventually to the promised land. So here in our text, we see the encounter between God and Moses at the burning bush. And, and uh, boy, it's one of my favorite stories. I say that often. All the story, A lot of stories are one of my favorites in the Bible. But here's, here's Moses standing, and uh, he's minding his own business. He's uh, tending his father, his, his father-in-law, Jethro's uh, sheep uh, there in the wilderness. And, uh, and all of a sudden he looks over and he sees something very strange. The Bible says he sees a bush that is on fire, but, uh, and that wasn't necessarily the strange part, but the, the strangeness, if you will, was the fact that the bush was not being consumed. Uh, it wasn't being burned up, if you will. And Moses 
got a little bit closer to take a, an investigatory look, if you will, and all of a sudden, a voice came from that bush, we know it now to be the voice of God, came from that burning bush and said, hey Moses, take your shoes off because the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. And uh, I can't imagine how Moses must have felt. Uh, it's petrified, and he's thinking, oh my. And, uh, and by the way, at, when this happened, Moses was an 80-year-old man. He figured his life was over. He thought, I have done everything I'm going to do. And uh, he was uh, approaching the twilight years of his life. And uh, But God had bigger plans for Moses. He said, Moses, take your shoes off. And you know the story. We read it just a few moments ago where God spoke to Moses out of that burning bush. And he said, Moses, I've got a message that I want you to take back to Egypt. But the message is not for Egypt. The message is for my people. The message is good news for Israel. Good news for the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Good news for those families down there who have been in bondage for 400 years. Oh, I know it's bad right now, Moses. I know their life is miserable right now, Moses. I know the taskmasters are, are making their lives very difficult and very tough right now. But Moses, I want you to take some good news back to people who are in bondage. And that brings me to the title of the message this morning, Good News for America. Good news for America. You see, uh, the premise of the message is, uh, as bad as things may seem in America today, when you look at certain aspects of our society, there's still good news for America. And just as Moses was commissioned by God to leave the Sinai Peninsula, the desert there, that burning bush, to go back, not just to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, but before Moses ever met with Pharaoh, he had to meet with Israel. Remember that? He had to meet with the children of Israel and say, hey, you know what? God sent me. And they're thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, okay, sure. And Moses, he was doubtful. He said, God, what if they don't believe me? Who do I say sent me? And God said, Moses, if those people ask you who sent you, you simply say, the I am has sent me. They're not the I was, not the I will be, not the has been God. He said, no, Moses, you tell those people down there, I am has sent me. And that way, they'll know that the, that the good news isn't from just a man, it's from God. And may I say this morning, the good news for America is not found in a man, it's found in God. The good news, the premise of the good news to America today is not, is not found in the White House. And thank God for our president. It's not found in state legislatures across America. It's not found in the judicial system. It's not found in, uh, in all of those things. And we ought to pray for our leaders and thank God for those who have given of themselves and who are God-fearing people. And there's some good folks in government. Make no mistake about it. But understand, the pride, the, the, the good news for America is not found in man viewpoint, it's found from God's viewpoint. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. You see, I, uh, I used to watch quite a bit of the news on TV, but I don't do that much anymore, I'll be honest with you. I still try to keep up with what's going on through, uh, and, and there's a lot of avenues to do that nowadays. You've got, uh, uh, you've got the internet and social media and so forth, uh, where you can uh, keep up with, uh, with uh, headlines without having to sit down and watch a newscast. I'll be honest with you, the reason why I, uh, I, I stopped watching the average evening news is simply because if, if I wasn't careful, it was discouraging. I, I'll be honest with you, I would, by the time I got to the end of the newscast, I thought, there is no hope. <laughs> there is no hope. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, 
And, and by the way, your spirit's very important to try to, to stay on top side, so to speak. And, and, uh, and, and it certainly wasn't good news. And, and I just decided that I was going to use some wisdom about how I stay informed about what's going in, on in the world. But I'm not, uh, I'm not ignorant of what our country faces this morning. And I believe that God's people ought to be optimistic. I also believe that God's people ought to be realistic in what is happening. There's a balance there. I understand that there's plenty of bad news about the state of our nation this morning. I'm not here to deny the trouble that we are in, that we're in as a people. You, you look at the moral decay of our country and it's disturbing. It's very disturbing. You look at the moral decay of our country in just a, a relatively brief period of time. You go back to the even, uh, not, you don't even have to go back a hundred years in our nation's history to see, uh, to see the decline in a big way, a big way. Uh, right is called wrong, and wrong is called right. Many people seem to be more interested in the rights of animals than they do uh, than they are about the right of an unborn child to live, and that's disturbing in our country. Marriage has been redefined by our courts and perverted in its meaning. References to God and His commandments have been removed from many government buildings and from our school systems. Our children are becoming more and more ignorant of God and His Word. And make no mistake about it, that's by design. That's by design. There are folks who want the children of the United States of America to be totally agnostic in their thinking. Totally anti-God in their thinking. They don't want any references to the Ten Commandments. They don't want any references to morality. They don't want any references to thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. They don't want any of that. They don't want any absolute truth. They don't, they don't want any right and wrong. They just want gray area. You do your own thing. Do whatever feels good. Live for self. That's the, that's the agenda of many who want to pervert and send our country down the tubes this morning. I understand that there are some, some, uh, uh, things to be concerned about in our culture. Not blind to those things. Even our history is being revised and rewritten in an effort to ignore our Christian heritage. And by the way, uh, America has a Christian heritage. I don't care what they decide. I don't care what they're teaching now. I don't care what books have been written. I don't care what history has been revised. May I say facts are stubborn things? The fact is, the fact is, that our forefathers came over here looking for religious freedom. Religious freedom. They didn't want anybody telling them how they should worship God. They didn't want anybody telling them, uh, you have to, uh, you, you have to go to the Church of England. You have to go to such and such, be a part of such and such religion. No, sir. Listen to me. The heritage that we enjoy was founded on the Judeo-Christian ethics of that book right there, and there is no denying that. You can re you can rewrite history and lie about it all you want to, but that doesn't change the facts. And the court, I'm sorry, and the costs for all of this is a nation that sits in spiritual decay and misery this morning. And I cannot deny any of those things, but I'm reminded of some good news that needs to be shared with America. Some good news to share with America. In spite of all of what we just talked about, I'm here to tell you this morning, based on the authority of the Word of God, <clears throat> listen to me, there's a God in heaven who said, hey, there is hope. There is hope. And just like Moses was sent by God back to a nation in despair, a nation in crisis, a nation who had been in bondage for over 400 years, there's a good message for America this morning. I want to share it with you very briefly. Number one, the first thing that I see here, the message that was given to Moses and the message that I'd like to give to America today is simply this. There's a God 
who's alive and well. Good news, America. Good news, Israel. There's a God who is alive and well. Look back with me at Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 6. Verse number 6 in our text there. Moreover, he said, this is God speaking, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You know, when Moses went back with this message that, hey, there's, there's a God. There's a God. Now, I'm sure that the people there in Egypt, the Israelites who were in bondage there in Egypt, uh, yeah, sure, they had been taught all of their life. Many of them, Egypt was, in fact, all of them, Egypt was all they had ever known. All they had ever been accustomed to was slavery. All they had ever been exposed to was bondage. And now, here's Moses, and he comes to them and says, Hey, I've got a message from your forefathers. I'm talking about the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he sent me here to tell you that he's alive and well, and uh, he knows what you're going through. May I say this morning, <clears throat> the hope for America is the fact that there's a God who's alive and well. God's alive and well. Oh, you can deny Him all you want to. You can try to give credence to all the atheists that you want to who would, uh, who would deny His existence. Or, to, or, or you can talk to the dead, dry theologians or the dead, dry preachers all across the country who, have, who may not deny the existence of God, but by their actions and by their, uh, by their lack of zeal uh, have uh, basically uh, uh, put God in a corner and made Him some kind of an evilinoser. My God is alive and well today. He's alive and well. Not only that, I want you to see this. The second part of the good news that God wants to give to America, the good news that Moses gave to Israel is simply this. God is willing to listen to our cry. Not only is God alive and well, but He is available and willing to listen to our cry. Look at verse number 7 with me, if you will. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. You see, this good news that God sent Moses back to Egypt to give to the nation of Israel is not only news that God was alive and well, but it was also the news that God was willing to listen. God had been listening. God was listening to their cry. Hey, you understand something. Uh, America is not gone until God's people quit crying out to God. That's right. I said again, America is not gone until God's people get to the point where they no longer have a need to cry out to God. You see, one of the dangers of our society is that our affluence has made us self-dependent. Our material goods have made us to the point where we don't much need God anymore. Our, our affluence, our riches, if you will, our resources, our abilities, our technology, all of the things that we enjoy. And by the way, thank God for all of it. I'm not saying, I'm not preaching against those things, except for the fact of how we have viewed them and our attitude has become over the years. Well, we're self-sufficient. We don't need God anymore. I mean, look at all of our technology. Look at our wonderful, uh, look at our vast resources and the might of our strength and our, and, and thank God for those things. But understand something. The one thing that the, the Bible teaches more than anything else that pleases God is faith. Dependency upon God. 
a need for God, a crying out to God. And may I say the good news for America is not only the fact that God is alive and well, but the fact that God is willing to listen to the cry of America. That reminds me of something else. The cry of America is not always broadcast on CNN and ABC, NBC, and CBS. You see, you look at you look at our news media. You look at all of the uh, all of the outlets that uh, uh, that serve to keep us informed and entertained and so forth. And and there's an ignorance, a willingness to ignore the cry of America. And the cry of America comes from the, those who are addicted to substances. The cry of America comes from those who are without hope. The cry of America was exemplified just a couple of days ago as a young man who used to uh, be a college basketball player and played some in the NBA who had a, 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 a shootout with the police and lost his own life. And, hey, the cry that comes from a soul that says, there's got to be something else out there. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a God. There's got to be something better. Hey, you listen to me. You can whitewash it if you want to. You can turn a blind eye if you want to. But America needs God. And there's a cry that comes from beneath the surface of what you don't see on television. There's a cry from that comes from our young people who are who, who are addicted to substances and who are trying to find truth and trying to find absolutes and and they're being brainwashed by uh, by in some cases uh, e even their own even their own parents into it and, and agnosticism and an ignorance of God. But let me tell you something. There's a cry. There's a cry. And God hears that cry. God said to Moses, "You go tell those people, I hear them." I hear them. God hears the cries of Americans today. God hears, uh, he, He's open and He's willing to listen to your cry today. There's good news. I see, first of all, that God is alive and well. Number two, the good news is that God is willing to listen to the cry of America. Then number three, I want you to see this. God's able to save America. God is able to save America. Look with me in verse number 8, Exodus chapter 3, verse number 8. He said, And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large and unto a, a, a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. He said, I, I, I am come down to deliver them. The word deliverance is the same word for salvation there. Deliverance. God said to Moses, you tell those people, I got this. <laughs> I got this. Hey, I can save them. Pharaoh's no big deal. Pharaoh doesn't scare me, God said. I'm not impressed with Pharaoh and his hierarchy. I'm not impressed with his military might. I'm not impressed with his, with his chains of, of uh, slavery that he has uh, on my people. God said, I'm not, hey, I can save you. And the good news that Moses took back to Egypt and telling God's people, hey, God's alive and well, God hears your cry. And, and even better than that, God is able to save you. You know, God is able to save America from the bondage that she faces. Our country's in trouble, and I said a little while ago, the root cause of our country's trouble is not, is not, is not legislative, it's spiritual spiritual. America, as I said, Wednesday night, needs a spiritual awakening. 
The answer is not in reforms. The answer is not in policies that are handed down. And, uh, and, and by the way, I, I'm, not, I'm not making light of those things at all, but I am saying if America is to be saved, it'll have to be at the heart of man, a spiritual awakening. God's able to save America. And then finally this morning, I want you to see this. God is willing to work in America right now. He's willing to work in America right now. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Understand something. I am, that is present tense. That is right here and right now. That's what it is. He said, Moses, you tell him the I am. I want, I've often wondered the significance of that. I've often wondered how that when the people heard that statement, what was it that caused the light to come on and they're thinking about, oh, okay, we get it now. You know, perhaps it was because they thought God was finished with them way back when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob passed away. Maybe they thought that the days of their usefulness to God were over. Maybe they thought that, oh yeah, God worked for Abraham because after all, Abraham was the friend of God. And sure, God worked in Isaac's life because, you know, Isaac was the son of promise and, and, uh, and he was the son of Abraham's old age. You know, Sarah gave birth to Isaac when she was 90 years old. Abraham was 100 and boy, that miraculous story that uh, encircles all of that. And, and uh, sure, God used Isaac. And sure, God used Jacob, I mean, the man who was once a deceiver, the supplanter, and then he became the prince with God, and, and uh, God changed his name to Israel. And, and, uh, and of course, all those people back in Egypt, they were uh, uh, great-grandchildren uh, and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and uh, 400 years' worth of generations uh, of, of descendants of Jacob. And maybe they thought, sure, God used all, all those men, and sure, God was interested in working for them, but perhaps God said to Moses, tell him the I am has sent you because God wanted his people to understand that he was interested in working in their lives right then. He was a present tense God. He was right there, right in that moment. Hey, let me tell you something. Uh, God's not done with America as long as there's some, some, uh, uh, some Christians in this country who will say, God, would you bless us? God, you did it for George Whitfield, and you did it for Jonathan Edwards, and you did it in the Great Awakening, and you did it all throughout our history. God, would you do it again? Hey, God's interested. God's not bound by time, my friend. Sometimes we're the ones who are guilty of looking back at the quote-unquote good old days when God sent revival, thinking that, well, it'll never be that way again. Hey, it'll never be that way again only if God's people take a defeatist attitude. It'll only never be that way again if we relegate God to the history books instead of understanding that, no, He's the I Am God. He wants to work right now. He's willing. He's able. He's more powerful. He's all-powerful as He always has been. He's not, uh, he's not confined by time. Why don't we get it this morning? The good news for America is really directed to the good news for God's people in America. God's alive and well. God's willing to hear our cry. Hey, God's willing to save America. And God's willing to work right now in America. Let me say this as we close this morning. 
the good news for America is really the good news for you. You need to make it, as I said Wednesday night, make it personal. You know, there is a God who is alive and well, but not just for our country as a corporate body, as a nation. God's alive and well to work in your heart this morning. God's alive and well to provide for you this week. God's alive and well to meet your needs this week. God's alive and well to show himself strong on your behalf this week. God's alive and well to forgive your sins today. God's alive and well to draw you back into fellowship with him today. Hey, I'm simply saying, why don't we not just look at this good news uh, for a country, but look at it as good news for us individually? Number two, God is willing to hear the collective cry of a nation, but that nation is made up of individuals. You see, our country's in... Our country, that, look, well, let me just put down where we live. If God's people aren't willing to pray, then okay, there is no hope. Know what it says? If God's people are not willing to pray, if, we're, if we are content just to do our own thing, have our own agenda, if we're content just to go with the flow, if we're content to just... Uh, be so self-dependent that we don't need God. And by the way, prayer is an expression of dependency upon God. And when we don't pray, we say, God, I don't need you. And when God gets the idea that his people don't need him, that's when you can start nailing the coffin shut, my friend. But as long as people and people like those in this room are willing to say, you know what, there is hope. Because my hope is built on nothing less then Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Whole other ground is sinking sand. God's able to save America. He's able to save you. <laughs> He's able to save you. You know, the salvation of a nation begins with the salvation of an individual. Make sense? Yeah. The salvation of a nation... I said it Wednesday night, 325 million people who live in the United States of America, those are 325 million individuals that God wants to see saved. And by saved, I mean God wants to see those people come to a saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. You're not saved by baptism, not by good works, not by church membership, not by the Pope, the preacher, uh, the, the priest, or anybody else. You're saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone. If you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, the good news for America is really the good news for you individually. God is ready, willing, and able to save you. If you're here this morning as a child of God, the good news for America is the good news for you. The same God that wants to bring revival to our country wants to bring revival beginning in your heart. If you'll let Him, if you'll let Him, if you'll cry out to Him, by God, people, we're here in Exodus chapter 3. Good news for America. It's good news for you. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.